there are a lot of black kids that grow up in the city that don't learn to swim. And so there's this really scary, disproportionate rate of drowning yeah. for black versus white kids. Hi, everyone. I'm Marquita Harris, the work and money editor for Essence, and welcome to Unbossed, a podcast for entrepreneurs, self-starters, and women who are about their business. Before we get into the interview that I have for you guys today, I want to give you a teeny little anecdote, a little something about me. When I was a kid, before I wanted to become a journalist in my teens and before I wanted to be an Egyptologist and find a cure for cancer around age 10, before I wanted to do all of these jobs... I watched The Little Mermaid, and I watched it a million times, and I decided I was going to protect the mermaids. I didn't know if this was a job, but I think at the time I thought it could be a job protecting the mermaids. And after my mother told me that mermaids were not real, it was very little, I became fascinated with oceans and lakes, and I just wanted to become a marine biologist. So today... My childhood heart is over the moon to have the esteemed Ayana Elizabeth Johnson at the Essence offices. Dr. Johnson is a marine biologist and the founder of the Ocean Collective, and that's collective with no E. The Ocean Collective is a consulting company that specializes in creating solutions for ocean conservation. What I'm inspired most about Ayana is that she sees ocean conservation as a social justice issue. It's not just saving and protecting, you know, wildlife. There's so much more to it. And she's going to get into all of that soon. But she just understands the correlation between the community and conservation. And this is something that we don't discuss enough. She studies our impact on the environment and the environment's impact on our community. Her story is also super inspiring to me because of its rarity. She's a black woman who's carved out a very unique space for herself to lead in a field that many don't even connect with our community, let alone see us, you know, leading the way. Her career is a testament to the fact that a title isn't necessarily as important as creating your own lane to do exemplary work. And you're going to hear the work she's doing. She's so proud of her passion. It comes through when she's discussing what she does. Okay, let's get to it. talking a little bit earlier. I've been kind of lurking and following her for a little while and some of the work she does because I'm... I put it all out there. It's not a secret. <laughs> not creepy at it. all. You're trying to like make yourself into a creep. Fail. Yes, yes. <laughs> but let's back up. I want to start at the very, very, very beginning. Um, with each guest that comes on the show, I like to ask, what was your very first job? Ooh, ever, first ever, 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 ever. Like a job I got paid for. Job you got paid for. And how old were you? Ooh, um, I can't remember exactly which came first. Um, for those who live in Brooklyn, you may have heard of the Park Slope Food Co-op, um, <laughs> which is you have to be a member to shop there and you have to do a work shift once a month. And my mother um, helped me get my working papers so I could do the shift for our family and like earn my keep of amazing produce. Because back then, like there was nowhere to get great vegetables or organic food in Brooklyn. So wow. we had to join this food co-op. Um, and so 
I worked there, like stocking vegetables and checking people out. And so at a pretty young age, I guess I was maybe like 15 or something. I, um, learned the names of all these weird vegetables, like before we all knew about kale and radicchio and like (laughs) whatever else the thing was, I was like dandelion greens. I'm on it. (laughs) Um, would not have known about a dandelion green at that age. The funny thing is I've heard about these co-ops. I didn't, Mm -hmm. I didn't grow up in New York. I grew up in a Midwest girl. Um, but I remember, I think it was like an episode of the show broad city or something where she was in a food co-op. She was working there. Totally over the top scenario where people are like very opinionated um, and have a lot of feelings about like food choices. And uh, I remember when I was like 10 and they decided to start carrying meat there and these wow. parents would be like pushing their kids by in a shopping cart and they, kids would be like, what's that? Like, those are animal parts. Can you believe people eat oh animals? God. And I was like, this place is so, amazing. Wait, where in Brooklyn was this? And where did you grow up? Park Slope. It's oh. still there. Okay. So I, um, I was born in 1980 and grew up in Fort Greene and I live a block away from the house I grew up in. And Even so I think, better. yeah, the, the exciting and sort of surprising part about my career trajectory is I was a kid who grew up in Brooklyn when Fort Greene was still the hood and decided to become a marine biologist and actually did it and then moved back to Brooklyn. And I'm now trying to figure out what does ocean conservation look like in a city? Like what is urban ocean conservation? Because we always think about what does that look like? Yeah. We always think about like coral reefs or dolphins Mm -hmm. or the Arctic or something really far away. But if we think of ocean conservation as far away, we're going to fail at it because it's right here. New York City has almost 600 miles of coastline. It's actually an archipelago with like two or three yes. dozen islands. Yes. The East River is not even a river. It's just an inlet that connects Long <laughs> Island Sound the with ocean. the harbor. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, um, it's what makes Long Island an island. And so it's interesting to think about how to reconnect city folks with the ocean. Got it. Um, and so that's what I spend a lot of my time thinking about now. I'm working with a co-founder to start a think tank for urban ocean policy. And every time I say oh, that, so okay. it makes me think of like, do you remember the urban section in like the CD store in the I 90s? Sure do. I sure every time do. I say the urban ocean, I like have this flash, this picture of like Sam Goody or whatever in my head. The Virgin Mega Store. Like, Don't go there. There's a lot of explicit <laughs> lyrics in that section. Yeah. But yeah, urban ocean policy is my jam. So I want to go back to little Ayana at this, at this co-op. She and was, she was actually legit cool. Like, like I'm still I mean, it sounds amazing. And I, a lot of times I do like, I'm so fascinated with the first jobs we've had just because I'm somewhere in the back of my mind. I just feel like that kind of informs us later on and helps mm-hmm. us kind of figure out maybe what we want to do or what we don't want to do, or we learn about ourselves in some yeah. way. So I'm curious to know what else? What do you remember learning about that job? Is there anything now related that I'm to now? About it, I didn't get paid for that. So the one that would really count, <laughs> got it. I was a like a camp counselor in training mm. at a creative arts camp, and so I got to design all these fun activities for kids around the arts and the performing arts. And it was a camp that I had gone to. Okay, where was the camp? 
In Brooklyn. Okay. Okay. So it <laughs> like was. Like we go to Prospect Park. Got it. And we went to the beach, you know, we had a beach day or something that was a really big deal. But helping younger kids find their like artistic niche and figuring out how to manage groups of people that yeah. all had their own needs and find ways to engage people is something I definitely used later in a way that totally caught me off guard. I ended up starting an ocean kids camp in wow. Barbuda in okay. the Caribbean as part of my work down there to just engage the young people and take them snorkeling for when the was, first time. When was this? This was maybe five or six years ago. Okay. Okay. Um, and so it all came full circle as we were doing like interpretive dances to Beyonce's <laughs> Halo for it. and here. calling it Blue Halo because that was the name of the project we were doing and they Easy. were all like choosing which sea creature they wanted to be and see, trying to I, act that out. See, young Mar, young Marquita, I would be so into that. I'm uh, into yeah. this now. Who am I kidding? Let's yeah. be real. And performing this at a community meeting in front of their parents as I was trying to get the parents to come and talk about ocean <laughs> conservation. I was like, I will make use of your adorable children's interpretive yes. sea creature dances if that's what it takes <laughs> to talk about ocean policy. Like, I'm in. So speaking of parents, were you, it sounds like your parents were very interested in keeping you exposed to like the outdoors mm-hmm. camp and you know just have making sure that their daughter fostered a it sounds like a good relationship with nature absolutely with the, between the food you ate and working like I said with the camp when did you know you wanted to become a marine biologist I was five okay oh wait I think I know this <laughs> I think I know this so listeners Essence had it a, a small piece I would have loved to do a large feature on Ayana but she had a small piece in one of our recent issues and if I'm remembering correctly you were five years old Florida mm-hmm. and was Key it a West, starfish Florida. yes Key West yeah okay I'll, I'll let you tell that it, was I felt- the summer I learned to swim <laughs> um and I think that's important because there are a lot of black kids that grow up in the city that don't learn to swim. And so there's this really scary, disproportionate rate of drowning yeah. for black versus white kids. And so my parents thought of swimming as like a life skill. Like you learn to swim, you learn to ride a bike, you learn eventually to drive a car. Like mm-hmm. these are things you just need to know. And so we went on a family vacation. It was the only time we really went on vacation. Mm. The three of us. Mm. Are you the only child? I'm an only child. Yeah. I have a half sister who's 18 years older than me. So we didn't grow up together. She was already married. We had this like little bed and breakfast and with a big pool and I just wouldn't get out of it. I didn't even know how to swim, but I would just stand in the shell and being like, this is where I live now. Who's bringing yes. me snacks? And yes. I would like get my parents to bring me snacks so I would stand in the shell and I eat them. And I eventually learned to swim and learned to snorkel and mm. went on a glass bottom boat ride. How old were you in that, with that experience? That was all that same summer. Wow. Um, we amazing. went back the second one, one more year. Okay. Um, but, you know, we were a working class family. We couldn't afford like vacations yeah. all the time. And so that was it. I just, I saw a coral reef through the bottom of a glass bottom boat and it was just this whole new universe, Mm. whole new world with like these aliens that lived down there that breathed water and I just wanted to know everything about it. (laughs) And we went to an aquarium that had a touch tank for the kids to pick up these sea creatures. And what you're, you were remembering is I, I held a sea urchin in my hand and just like starfish on the bottom, they have all these tube feet, kind of like the suckers of an octopus. Mm -hmm. And that's how they move. They like have these hundreds of 
tube feet and they use them to crawl. And I felt those tube feet on the palm of my hand. And I and was like, had to, what at five, is I mean, happening? At five years old <laughs> and just being, you know, that's just such an age where you're so curious. Yeah, it's like, what is it called everything. when you just hang out with these creatures all day? <laughs> what is that job? So and from then I was just like, all right, marine biology. Like this is it. This is what I'm doing with my life. So you, after this, it sounds like you're, you know, you have the support clearly from your parents and all mm-hmm. that. And you went to college to study. They were very clear. They were like, the world needs more black scientists. Amazing. In hindsight, I'm kind of surprised that they, they actually did give me some direction. Mm-hmm. I was like, I want to be a teacher like you, mom. She's an English <laughs> teacher. And my dad was an architect. And I was like, I'm going to be an architect. I'm going to teach architecture oh so I can be like God. both of you. And I'm going to live in the apartment upstairs forever. Come on, come on, architect. And they're like, no, you're, you should be a scientist. Okay. It sounds like, I mean, that was just, you were sold at a young age. I was, was sold, kind of but I think, and I have like a, a fair amount of innate nerdiness, I mm-hmm. guess, or like cultivated nerdiness on the science front, but that would never have kept me interested for decades. Got the it. thing that I find worth making a career out of for me that matches my passions is the fact that ocean conservation is not just about science. Like you could understand everything about every fish and the seawater and the currents and the climate. And you still would never know enough because it's actually about people, right? The fish are doing everything right. The corals, the seaweeds, (laughs) like they're on it. It's people that are the problem. So we need to understand like what are the cultural uses of the ocean and what's the, what are the politics and what's the policy and what's the economics. To me, the exciting thing is that ocean conservation is this crazy hard puzzle to figure out. I love what you said about, you know, the fish are doing everything right. Essentially, nature is good, but we're the ones messing it up. And we're part of nature. We're just like a super out of whack part of nature (laughs) right now. So how did you know? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, you're very much an advocate. You're on these front lines. You're talking about things that are within the community, not just, you know, the oceanic (laughs) community, but like... Things happening in Brooklyn. And, I'm here you know, for the culture. I'm here for like, the culture. My dad was from Jamaica, mm-hmm. thinking about Caribbean cultures and how closely tied they are to the sea. There's a lot of that in New York, too, that we often don't notice. And that's what I'm here for. Like, I think that losing ocean ecosystems and species means we're losing the coastal cultures. Like, what is the Caribbean without a fish fry? And, like, going <laughs> fishing with your granddad. True. Like, I don't want that version of the Caribbean. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm really motivated by um, cultural preservation as opposed to biodiversity as Got an it. abstract concept. Okay. So what I want to know is, have you always like, has the advocacy part of your career and, you know, the scientific part, so mm-hmm. to speak, have those always been kind of merging the two or was there a shift? Was it, there something that happened? Yeah. So what did when it? I was in college, I studied abroad in Turks and Caicos, which oh, was wow. a very good life decision. That's amazing. <laughs> I, I, had the, I had the opportunity to go there once like 10 years ago yeah. and it was like this free trip because I, I don't know, sometimes when you're a student, things happen and I was able to go with some friends and her family mm-hmm. and... I want to go back again. It's fabulous. (laughs) It's beautiful. Um, And so I was not on the main tourist island. I was in this, in South Caicos, this small fishing village at the time, only 500 people and no real hotels. And so I was 
learning the Latin names of every coral reef species, wow. but also hanging out with fishermen and learning about fisheries policy and how the community depended on the sea. And so that was the moment that I realized that all these things were connected and that this was something that I could dedicate my whole career to. And then when I got to grad school, I started out by doing science, studying fish and fishing gear and trying to make fishing gear more sustainable okay. and doing all this scuba diving research. And very by year two, I was straight up <laughs> drinking beer with fishermen and being like, tell me everything. <laughs> Got it. This is you, you have all the information. You've yeah. been doing this for 30, 40, 50 years. You know more about the ocean than I ever will. I want to learn from you. Yeah. Um, so, mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds like you, so much of the work that you do now, it's very much dependent on people telling, sharing their stories and you going mm. into these communities and yeah. really talking to people and things being hands-on. That was for about 10 years doing that work for my PhD and then for the job that I had after that. Now mm -hmm. I find myself doing this consulting work, okay. as you mentioned, with Ocean Collective. So I'm, yep, I was just I'm a little bit you. disconnected from the yeah. communities in that way. Let's get into Ocean Collective. Sure. For listeners and anyone who's unfamiliar with it, what is Ocean Collective? It's no E, by the way. No the E at the end of Collective, <laughs> not because I'm a hipster, um, but because Ocean Collective with an E is the name of a heavy metal band in Australia. Oh, got it. So the social Trademark. handles were taken. Very strange. <laughs> not that anyone would confuse the two organizations but um ocean collective is a consulting company okay and what we do is support nonprofits and foundations and businesses who are trying to figure out better strategy for doing ocean conservation work or they need some research to underpin a new campaign or they're trying to figure out how to how to influence policy or how to better communicate the work that they do okay. so we have um from this work that i did in the caribbean realizing how inherently multidisciplinary ocean conservation is, I built this team of super diverse expertise. So okay. from, you know, a Nat Geo filmmaker to an education expert, to policy wonks, to political strategists, to scientists and conservationists and designers and robotics experts so that we could support clients on these different projects and form these specialized teams that have the right skills for each initiative that we're working on. And so it's really fun. It's this incredible group that happens to be all women. That was my next question. I was which was ask, a mistake. I was actually wondering like if, you know, just just the makeup in terms of gender. Um, and also it wasn't on purpose. It was just like, I made a list of everyone who was freelance and could come on. You know, okay. I wasn't, I, I couldn't afford to pay anyone a salary and poach them from their other jobs, but who's already doing consulting and might want to do some projects collaboratively. And so my list had one dude on it and he was about <laughs> to start his own technology, um, company. So, uh, it was all women. Yeah. And I was like, just these, these are the people who are experts in this, who I know I can work well with, who are really straightforward communicators, who I trust the quality of their work. And so it's just no drama and we just get it done. And it's you awesome. You're able to launch a business and, but you weren't able to pay? Like what, was it kind of volunteer based? No, or? no, no. I yeah. absolutely pay everyone for okay. their time, uh, but I don't have anyone full time on salary. Got it. So understand. these are all people who have a bunch of other projects and everyone gets paid for the work that they do got on it. an hourly basis. Got it. So yeah. 
Tell me about what's a typical day like for you? Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, Do you work from home a lot? Is there I work office? from home a lot. I make very elaborate breakfast. Yeah. Oh, okay. I take Wait. breakfast super seriously. Hold on. I want to know about this because I was um, speaking with our producer, sound guy, Josh, who's on deck earlier. And he asked me, um, he's like, what'd you have for breakfast? And very embarrassingly, I said vitamins and coffee, oh, which is terrible. Girl. <laughs> It was a morning. There was a lot going on. And after it came out of my mouth, I thought, wow, that's really sad. No, do better. Inspire me. Yes. Tell me to do better, please. Well, my mother, um, after retiring from being an English teacher, became a farmer. And so she lives about four hours north of New York City now and has about 200 heritage free range organic chickens. And so I visit her every three weeks. I go up for about a week and I come back with three dozen eggs. And so I eat a dozen eggs a week and then I go back to the farm. So I have farm fresh eggs almost every morning. But this morning was a really good one. I had wild Alaskan salmon caught by this indigenous family in Bristol Bay that actually spends summers fishing in Alaska and winters here in Brooklyn making wine. Wow. This life. I know. They have it totally <laughs> figured to find, out. <laughs> need to, like, talk to them. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you have that, like the eggs. With some like sauteed radicchio with pesto see, and red see, scallions see, and see, coffee, also coffee. But <laughs> actually, my newest hack is I make my own oat milk. I need to start doing that because I have oat milk. Every, if anyone is every interested day. in how to make oat milk, it is one of my most recent posts on Instagram. I'm going to check it out. At sure. Ayana Eliza, one N, A Y A N A E L I Z A. And it's it's literally oats and water in a blender and you strain it. You just have to soak the oats for a few hours. First. Easy peasy. I need to, I don't know why I haven't We're done We're all already. getting played. Yeah, we are getting played. It costs like. 20 cents to make a jar of oat milk. I'm like, I feel ashamed right now. All you need is a blender and a strainer. It is super easy. All right. So I'm adding that to my list of things. I throw in some nutmeg and vanilla and it tastes like eggnog every morning. And they're just like, if you're only going to have coffee, you might as well put some like oat milk in there. I I love this lifestyle. So it sounds like you like mornings are important to you. Super important. Um, I never schedule anything before 10 a.m. Okay. I like to wake up and kind of have mornings to get my head together and not like listen to podcasts or books on tape or even really music until Mm -hmm. noon to just have space with my own thoughts. Mm -hmm. Obviously, like I'm as addicted to social media and email as anyone. So I definitely like check this stuff, but I try not to have like meetings that I have to like rush off to. I also work super late. So I feel like we really burn ourselves out when we try to work super late and be that early bird, especially working from home. Yeah. Because a lot of times for a while I worked from home and I was um, doing a lot of writing and editing. And there was definitely a period where I would look up and be like, Oh, I've, I've been working for 13 hours. Yeah. And when just, I, yeah. I often go to bed at 1am. So yeah. like having a 9am meeting is somewhere that's not my apartment is like just <laughs> no. asking to be run down all the time. <laughs> got it. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So, the, so your mornings are for yourself. No meetings before 10 yeah. or 11. Or 11. I, like, I mean, I like it. It's a 1030 yoga class that I try to get nice. to like three days a week that I actually build my entire schedule around. That's good. My assistant is like, do you mind doing yoga on a different day this week? And I'm like, no. Mm. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's got to be really important. Unless it's like, you know, like Michelle Obama, like reaching out or something. Yes. If Forever Flotus wants yes. to chat, like everything gets canceled. Okay, fine. Fine, Michelle. Um, okay, so after that, what kind of, um, it sounds like you're, it can be at home or maybe you're at meetings. Yeah. And is there, like, it sounds like a day to day could be different. Totally different. Okay. Um, it's, it's, you know, the constant scramble to keep up with incoming email. But I have a, a bunch of different client projects that are super exciting and I'm usually working on those. Mm-hmm. So that can range anywhere from like doing research on ocean plastics or the seafood supply chain or supporting people who we've found and vetted to get grants to do ocean conservation projects or helping to curate events. Um, I host a lot of events. I do a lot of public speaking. And all of this is at the intersection of ocean conservation and climate and justice. That's Mm. kind of where my work is grounded right now. And then, so there's this nexus of topics, ocean and climate and justice. And then there's this nexus of sort of tools, which would be science policy and communication. And so that's kind of- It kind of merges everything. Yeah. That's kind of how I look at the world is like, how are all these pieces fitting together depending on, you know, what I'm working on that day. I don't know if you've encountered this, but I think a lot of people misunderstand, you know, what, even like in my job personally, it's, there's an assumption about like, you know, the way your days work or the kind of responsibilities you have to take Mm -hmm. on. Do you encounter that? Do people, do you think people misunderstand just the kind of work you do and what that involves? No one has any idea what I do. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, my aunt was like, we thought your mother was still paying your rent. (laughs) Because like people can't, get, and I was like, excuse me, I've been like this. helping her pay her mortgage That's for the right. last five years. I'm a totally a grown up. So I think there it's, you know, we're in this new era where people are inventing their own jobs and mm. like putting together their own ways of making a living. And it gets really hard to explain what I do. So I often just say I'm a marine biologist because I have a PhD in marine biologist. You can call me Dr. Johnson and that's a real thing. Right. But that I don't hang out counting fish anymore. (laughs) Got it. No shade. I mean, it's important. We got to know how many fish are out there. Like you said, you're also out here. not what I'm doing anymore. And so I often lead with, you know, my name is Ayana. I'm a marine biologist. And that has to be just the beginning of the conversation because people are like, oh, like, what are you researching? And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, well, actually, I do strategy consulting for ocean conservation grounded in social justice, which obviously just raises way more questions than it answers. <laughs> so, yeah, it's hard for me to describe what I do. And so I'm OK with that. I think the most important thing is doing caliber of work that you're proud of and then your work speaks for itself even if people can't really put it in a specific category Mm. so I've just kind of given up on having a title I mean I named myself CEO of my company just because like I got to give myself a title and yeah you know managing director was too confusing to people people get what CEO (laughs) and founder is um but it could be I mean I could have given myself literally any title but you're you're like I mean you, you person who mans the inbox yeah, right. <laughs> and you also have a team and that's, I do you know, I have an amazing yeah, team and it's, it's such a treat to get to collaborate with these people that in itself is I mean that's a skill just being able yeah. to lead what would you say when it comes to conservation and all the work you're doing what's the most pressing issue I know that's oh, probably gosh. gonna be a, <laughs> a a little hard a couple things climate change okay 
hands down. I mean, most people do not understand that humans as a species, we could drive ourselves extinct. Like that is a real possibility. Like we're, we're blowing it that badly Mm. as a species. And so I think it's hard to have conversations around climate and justice and the ocean when people don't realize how high the stakes are. Mm. And part of the reason we don't realize that is because we don't talk about it. We talk about saving dolphins and we talk (laughs) about how sad it is that coral reefs are dying, but we don't talk about the fact that there are hundreds of millions of people around the world who depend on reefs for their nutrition and their income. Like half a billion people like need coral reefs around to eat and have any, like make a living. Um, And we don't talk about the fact that sea level rise is going to be like six feet. What the hell is that going to do to America when 40% of Americans live in coastal counties? Mm -hmm. It's not a coastal elite thing. It's literally almost half of our country. Yeah. Um, And so it's honestly like off sometimes really hard for me to bring these things up because it's such a downer. (laughs) Like no one wants to hear it. It like sucks all the air out of the room. Right. But if we don't confront the scientific facts, I I sound like an alarmist when I'm saying it, but like these are are legit, like the facts, these are the scientific reports. Like these are the government reports, which are often more conservative because they have to be the consensus version. So when people talk about climate change, like we need to be preparing for like six degrees Fahrenheit of warming or eight, like it's not staying the same is no longer an option. Like stopping it is not an option. We have to figure out how to like mitigate and Mm -hmm. adapt and make it less bad. And all this has really big implications for the ocean, right? Fish are moving to colder waters. They're just like, peace out tropics. Like I'm swimming towards the poles. And obviously that has implications for fishing communities and fishermen's incomes. So Something that I do think is also really great about your work is you do speak out about the impacts of this on communities of color. Oh, yeah. Is there something in our community that we could be doing now that can, I don't know, like whether it's recycling more or Mm -hmm. or is it kind of too late? It's never too late. Okay. It's never too late. Like, I mean, I was also that kid at seven who was like, we are all recycling now. (laughs) Has everybody got it? Like, these are the bins. This is what we're doing. And so- Absolutely. We should be doing that. Like every piece of plastic we don't use matters because it all is on the planet forever, forever. forever. Every yeah. piece of plastic we've ever existed basically still is here. It's so just not canvas, in front of our eyes. Reusable canvas bags at the grocery store. Yeah. But like stop buying canvas yeah, bags. Like yeah. everyone has like 10 in their closet. God, like so right. we don't need to be bougie about it. You're just right. like use what you have. I think that's part of the problem. We've created this culture of environmentalism where you need to buy like fancy mason jars and like the perfect canvas tote bag. And like, we all, <laughs> when I make my oat milk, I put it in an old pasta jar. Amen. It's totally fine. I like that. And I use whatever, like the tote bag you got at that conference you wish you hadn't wasted your time going to like, that, now you have a bag. Now, now you have a bag. Yeah. And if you don't like your friend has 20 in their closet. So I think, yes, there's stuff we can all be doing as individuals. The most important thing is reducing our carbon footprint. And really hard part of that is basically that means 
not getting on airplanes as much, mm-hmm. not making as many new humans. So like we need to have fewer babies. We need to travel less, especially on planes. And we need to change our diet away towards plants and away yeah. from meat and towards organic and regenerative farming that actually absorbs carbon in the soil as we're growing plants instead of destroying things. So those are the big three that we can do as individuals. And of course, reducing our plastic as well. Mm-hmm. But really, we just need to change the laws. Like oh. We need to change the policies. Letting communities, especially communities of color, think that it's somehow like on them to fix the environment, yeah. like that's not fair. It's on the corporations who have made billions of dollars by like burning fossil fuels and polluting our mm-hmm. communities and selling us all this crap we don't need. I think... I think a lot about how we can cha- rewrite the rules of the game. How do we shift policy to to protect the environment and also people and especially people of color? Because if we think about where these dirty power plants are, it's in poor communities. It's yeah. in communities of color. Always. Environmental justice is a really big deal. And it's the same thing on the coast with, you know, development of hotels and resorts. And then the coastal communities that they live suffer. there don't have access anymore and can't have the same cultural or economic uses. Wow. That's something that you, you definitely don't hear a lot about, but it's, yeah. I mean, it's real. It's definitely it's real. real and it's a, a super big concern. So what we can all do in that regard mm-hmm. and the big picture, I like to say there's like a handful of things that everyone can do. Yeah, you can I'm use notes. I'm taking notes. Number one, <laughs> you can use your vote. Okay. We all have the power as For those of us who do have the right to vote, that gives us not just power in specific elections to vote, but to be contacting our representatives Mm -hmm. whenever we want and telling them what's important to us and that we're going to vote them out next time if they don't take these issues seriously. Cough, 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 Trump. And I think what people don't realize is that communities of color actually care more about the environment than white people Mm. like we're already there we we get this reputation like we don't get it or we don't care but when you look at the polling results communities of color are more supportive of environmental policies and addressing climate change through policy than white people do you think that's because we're often in situations where we're so heavily impacted yes yeah 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 it's not like a theoretical or remote thing it it impacts yeah. our lives. God, that makes me think of, I guess, like Hurricane, was it Hurricane Sandy? Hurricane Sandy hitting yeah. the Rockaways and the projects out there. Yes. Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Irene, I think, hitting yep, Texas. All of that. They hit these, they hit the communities that often can't, um, you know, that need more help than. Yeah, that were already struggling. Yeah. So, yes, the power of your vote is number one. Number two is the power of your voice. Mm -hmm. We all have a sphere of influence and a network, whether you're a seven year old harassing your family into recycling or you're someone with a huge social media following or you're the person buying the groceries for your household or for your church events or whatever it is like those are spheres of influence. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And I think we underestimate our the potential for the ripple effects of that. So that really does matter. The other thing I like to say is our skills. I think we think that there's one way to be helpful on environmentalists, which is like, what should I do? Like, what are the top three things? And the real answer is like, what are you good at? Mm -hmm. And then how can you use that to further the issues that you care about? So 
as an amazing podcast host, you should obviously be using that skill <laughs> to get the now. word out about the things I that you am. care about. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, if you're an artist or a lawyer or an event planner or a fashion designer, there's things that all of us can do with our specific skills to to make really a amplify. difference. Yeah. yeah. Just put okay. it to, to good use. Okay. Um, and what we eat is a, makes a really big difference. Yeah. It That's really does. I, I know that I have to be better, way better about, I go through these periods where I do feel like I'm being more sustainable and I'm, I'm cooking from home and I'm supporting. And then yeah. I go through these periods where I eat vitamins and coffee in the morning. <laughs> and now later I know I'm going to get seamless and I know I'm going to do, you know, yeah. there's just all these little things that I know I do need. It to takes kind of, a lot of planning, yeah. right? Yeah. Because right. the fast food on the go lifestyle, so it's bad, a lifestyle, but, right? It's not yeah. like we want to eat unhealthy food. That's bad for the planet. It's like, that's what's in front of us when we're running. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you should see what's in my purse right now. <laughs> I have like half an apple. Yes. I have trail mix in a stainless steel jar that I refill every day. Ugh, I have see. like my leftover salmon from breakfast, eat for dinner. Um, because I know that for the rest of my day, I'm going to be running around and I'm not going to have a chance to eat anything healthy or it's all going to be super packaged or it's going to be full of pesticides mm-hmm. or some industrial process I don't support. So you actually have to like put in a little effort okay. and like carry just, leftovers like a, a big nerd. I have to do that. So you're, what you're <laughs> telling me is, um, the fact that I wanted to pat myself on the back a little for having a couple of oranges in my bag. Even oh, that's those, points. Those, but, Definitely points. But for you're going to take away points when I tell you that they're in a plastic bag that I probably should not be using. So you could probably just put them directly in your bag. Okay. I'm just going to do that. I don't yeah. know why. <laughs> See, it's just a weird, like, <laughs> it's weird one habits. of those things where like, Waste. we've gotten so addicted to plastic I know as it. a culture that people put like, individual pears into individual plastic that's wrap. weird to me too and and like bananas and eggs and you're like they come, yo nature made its yeah. own packaging for this already yeah. like we're good yeah you're right you're right, you're <laughs> right, you're right. so um, i want to know for the many little black girls and little little black boys too out there who are interested in you know becoming a marine biologist or yeah. just doing work in Doing work that um, merges advocacy and their environment. Uh For those kids out there who are recycling at a young age, what advice do you have for them um, in terms of career path? Keep it up. I mean, if you're interested, we need you. There's so many different challenges and problems and solutions out there that we need we need a bigger and bigger team to get it done. Mm-hmm. And I really strongly believe that one of the reasons the environmental movement has not succeeded to the extent that it needs to so far is that it's been dominated visibly by white people, yeah. which makes other groups feel like it's not for them. Mm-hmm. Like, I've had a lot of amazing mentors in this space and most of them have been white okay. and they're there for it. Like they're supportive of me doing the social justice element of my work, but they're not the ones that are going to, you know, they're going to do the work in a different way that I am. Mm-hmm. They're not, no one's going to see their face and be like, Oh, this is for me too. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I've actually started doing more interviews and press because I want people to feel like, yes, this is for us too. Like we want clean air. We want clean water. We want healthy seafood. We want a clean beach. Like, 
obviously this yeah. is for everybody for to us, care about um, and so the more kids we have growing up and pursuing a career in conservation the more we'll get done because there will be not just a diversity of faces which will bring in an increasingly diverse group going forward but a bigger diversity of ideas and solutions mm. I think if you have only one group of people doing the work you have a very narrow set yeah. of ideas and, and we need, we and, need it all. Like yeah. it's hard and it's complicated and it's urgent. And like, we need all hands on deck to solve this. Are there any other like black women or even black men who are in this space who you think deserve some shine, who we can check Ooh, out? I love this question in conservation in general. Mm -hmm. Give me names. My me newest <laughs> science conservation crush is Dr. Ray Wingrant, okay. who is an expert in grizzly bears oh, and is studying grizzly bear conservation. And that's like Ray Wynn, like R-A-W. R-A-E. R-A-E. And then last name is hyphenated W-Y-N-N. -N okay. Grant. She's amazing. Okay. Um, who, uh, Don Martin, okay. who works at Esri, which makes all of the like GPS, like GIS maps. Wow. Um, and she's figuring out ways to use, we can use mapping for conservation and is a lovely human being. There's a new show on topic. I'm going to forget his name and <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. This, um, young black man who's a birder okay who has this series on birding and her. it's phenomenal <laughs> okay. it's like the best thing on youtube birds birds of north america birders of north america interesting watch this immediately okay i have to find i gotta research and like make sure i put this in the show notes yeah. it's all good if you don't remember the name all good i'm gonna check wyatt sinek in his show problem yeah. areas he's been doing some environmental coverage um which is great to see so, yeah, I think we're getting it together. One, My favorite reporter on climate is a black woman who works at the New York Times, Kendra Pierre-Louis. Mm. Her reporting is super good. And she's always covering the community impacts of this stuff, too. Um, so she's wonderful. Yeah, there's she's like so not important. a huge crew, but we're out there. There's a crew. That's what's important. I think that's, um, that's great. The fact that you were even able to say those names, I'm sure, you know. And the, a there's a group here it. in New York called the Billion Oyster Project. Oh, yeah. That's aiming to replant this. a billion oysters in New York Harbor by 2030. And can you, and I've, they have, a they have, because it's associated with a public high school, there's like a lot of students of color who are involved in that oyster restoration piece. So I've read about this and I want for people out there, cause I'm thinking of, I'm not going to name any names, but I'm thinking of a couple of people close to me who I frequently have debates with when it comes to environmental issues mm -hmm. and all this. I know they're going to be like, I don't, what do I care about oysters? I don't care about like billion, like for the people out there who don't understand the correlation between, you know, oysters that, are amazing. Yes, let's too. talk about oysters. Let's talk about that. Number one, they're delicious. <laughs> Number two, they actually have a eating oysters has a lower carbon footprint than being vegan because they're so easy to grow. Oysters are filter feeders. Mm. So basically they just like open and close and suck seawater through their bodies and they filter out all the nutrients and vitamins, whatever they need to grow. Wow. And so you don't need to feed them anything. You can farm them really easily. And obviously they're like really easy to catch. Got it. <laughs> so they filter out all the excess nutrients out of the water and actually improve water quality. Mm. They also can grow in these large reefs. Just like you think of a coral reef, there are oyster reefs. And there used to be so many oyster reefs in New York 
harbor that it was a navigational hazard. It was like causing shipwrecks. Wow. And now they're super, super rare. That's because crazy. they're so easy to catch, they all just got They'd scooped over. But it used to be and, like instead of hot dog carts in New York City, it was oyster carts. It was oh, like I a penny. Seeing, I remember seeing in, I guess, like mm. old movies almost about yeah. the oyster carts. And that's even crazy to think about now. Um, so now the water's it. not clean enough to eat the oysters, but mm. replanting them is really important because while they form these large reef structures, they also, they provide habitat for a lot of other things, for little crabs and worms and little fish. And that's really important. They are, they Super create important. the ecosystem. It, oyster it. reefs are an ecosystem. They are an ecosystem. It's a habitat, <laughs> just like a coral reef is. So we need those back for filtering the water, for creating the habitat, for something that's a low carbon footprint for us to eat. And also the reefs that they form buffer us from storms mm, so in, in a storm like hurricane sandy if you had oyster reefs there it actually slows down the force attenuates the force of the waves wow so that it protect and it's like a physical barrier it's just yeah. like a seawall which is definitely us. something we need to be we concerned do about. we need that we need the marshes yeah. we need the wetlands we need the mangroves and the seagrass and all of those coastal ecosystems that absorb the force of storms before they are hurting our communities. And actually, my favorite fact about coastal ecosystems, wetlands, marshes, for example, can absorb five times more carbon than a rainforest. Wow. Like, they don't get nearly enough credit. Nearly right? enough. Yeah. We should be okay. protecting them with everything we've got because they're literally protecting us from storms and helping to solve climate change. So shout out to marshes. Shout out. <laughs> shout out to the marshes. I love how I just muddy I, and like you're maybe not down with them, but like <laughs> we need to take this we mental leap and right. get down with marshes. That's right. I love that you're just so passionate about what you do and also you're always able to find the communal, you know, line, that golden thread between that and the environment. I think that's so important. I'm glad you see that line. It's working. It's working. <laughs> it's working. I'm here for it. I'm already feeling like, oh, make Sometimes oat milk. Sometimes I feel like, am I just <laughs> shouting milk tomorrow into morning. the wilderness? No, no, we're listening. We're listening. Um, so I like to ask everyone who comes on the show a couple, couple little questions. But um, first thing I want to know, what does the word unbossed mean mm. to you? Um, I literally have no boss, which is <laughs> means also I have the meanest boss because I have really high standards for myself. So I have to keep like my being technically unbossed, but being my own boss in check. Mm -hmm. um, so I think a lot about that. I think a lot about the freedom that that gives me to speak out. Right. Like there is no one censoring me. I can say whatever I think needs to be said that I'm brave enough to say. And so that's I think about, like, how can I be brave and bold enough to use the fact that I am unbossed to really try to make a difference? Mm, I love it. Just in that way that growing up, my parents were like, you know. We, we got you a scholarship to a private school. You've had literally every opportunity. You got to go on a glass bottom boat when you were five. I mean, like, how are you going to give back? Absolutely. And so I think about that all the time. Like the fact that I'm able to start a consulting firm and only take the projects that I think are the most important and work with just the most amazing people that I adore. Um, that is an enormous privilege. And it's one that I've worked really hard to create, but it comes for me with a lot of responsibility to think about 
um, how to give back to the communities that have supported me for decades um, and how to use my voice and my platform and all my scientific training and all like my years of getting really nerdy about policy to help with solutions. Like it's not about as much as I love to talk about the work, it's really about doing the work and focusing on solutions that will make a difference in the lives of the people and the communities that I care about. I love it. Lastly. Yeah. What woman in your life that you can think of anyone dead, alive, family, non-family, whoever, who's embossed, who do you admire? Who's also representative Ocasio-Cortez right now. Come on, Ocasio. I mean, (laughs) I literally bought gold hoops because I was like, I'm with you. (laughs) And I had lost one a year ago. I was like, it's it's inspired me to get it back together. I think when you're not obsessed with getting reelected mm. when you're really there to serve your constituents you're bossed by them but you're not really bossed yeah. by anyone else right it's not a top down it's a responsibility to your people as opposed to being dictated to um and the reason i mentioned her in particular is because what she is doing by leading this movement for a green new deal mm-hmm. is the most important thing happening in america right mm. now like we actually need to get to zero carbon emissions we need to stop burning fossil fuel completely within like a decade if we're going to prevent extremely disastrous climate change mm. um and so everyone should read this totally visionary resolution, the Green New Deal that she put out there with her it's, team. It's it's amazing. It's pretty, yeah. I mean, I've seen a lot of things too where people, of course, are immediately like giving it backlash and all this, but I just and feel like- people haven't read it. It's yeah. 13 pages. It's yep. enormous font. It's double space. It will take you literally <laughs> 10 minutes so we can have an informed conversation about whether and how this should become reality. Mm. Um, and so- some and the uh, as a scientist i love that like the first page and a half is literally a list of all the si- things we know about the science yeah like here's what's happening with sea level here's what's happening with our food system here's what's happening with temperature here's what's happening with storms like here, here are, are the receipts the, these are yeah literally receipts from the un climate report from yeah. the u.s climate report outlined in bold font and and then so part two is it. like america has been the country that has put the most emissions out into the world we are per capita like it's ridiculous. We got to get our act together because we massively caused this problem um, and that we have to solve it in a way that doesn't leave behind the same people that always get left behind. Amen. And so I love that this has a sort of trio of goals, right? We've got to get the, the carbon emissions down so that we stop creating an ever thicker blanket of greenhouse gases that Mm -hmm. are just warming and warming the planet and changing our storms and droughts and mudslides and all of it. Um, Forest fires. We've got to change that. We've got to stop burning fossil fuels. And there's a lot of room for innovation there, right? And so the other pillar of it is um, infrastructure and innovation. Like how do we create this new economy we need to completely remake our economy and then the third piece is how do we do that in an equitable and just way and that requires thinking about um labor practices mm-hmm. and thinking about health care because at first i read it and i was like 
whoa, this is like, <laughs> you guys are really connecting the dots and like, this is going too far. And like, yeah. I don't think I was going to be into it. And then you I've think heard, about I it. I keep hearing that. A lot of people are saying this is too far. And it's all a laundry that, list of progressive yeah, wishes or whatever. Exactly. But when you think about how much change is required to shift our economy away from fossil fuels to which on which we are currently completely dependent. Imagine you decide that your highest and best use is like being a manager in a solar panel plant. Hmm. But if you move, you lose your health care. You can't be part of the new economy if we don't figure out health care in America because yeah. you can't afford to move. Ooh, um, and so stuff started. like so when we think about like how do we solve climate change? We can't think about it in a vacuum. We need to think about how people are educated. We need to think about how we're making sure people get a living wage, about how they're getting health care so they can take these professional leaps and actually be a part of the solution. Absolutely. Um, and so that's why I think of um, Representative Ocasio-Cortez as being on boss because she's like, I know this is hard. <laughs> I know this is maybe going to seem crazy, yeah. but like this is literally how far we have to go if we're going to solve this problem that is a threat to humanity continuing to exist on this planet. I also love that as soon as you said her name, you went immediately into a, just this, this reference, this, um, this, this thread of thought that just, you know, it's so tied to what you do and you're so passionate about it. Yeah. And it's like, no, 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 no. It's not just I mean, like... she's also incredibly <laughs> glamorous and well-spoken and like yes. her tweets are fire. All the things. But I'm here the for things. the policy. Like here I'll for stay it. for the rest, but like yeah. I'm here it, for the policy Basically, change. it wasn't just like, oh, I just love, you know, I love her. Like no shade to anyone who does that, but it's like, I just love her. She has great style. And it's like, no, 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 no. So it's like, I'm excited. <laughs> like she gives me, you know, like it's, she gets you riled up and I love and it. I think <laughs> a lot about like the way the ocean can be part of that, right? Yeah. Like we always think about the ocean and climate and policy as somehow separate. But like I was saying before, if we have coastal ecosystems that can absorb five times more carbon than a forest on land, like we should be we protecting should be. and restoring that as part of our policy. Yes. And if fish are migrating because the water's getting warmer, like we need to think about that in our policy. And if sea level is rising six feet in the next few decades and we're thinking about an infrastructure bill, Obviously, we need to be we incorporating to, that absolutely. into our policy. So, yeah. um, I love it. So, everyone, go read the Green New Deal resolution. <laughs> it's on the internet. It's really short. Um, and also, um, and then let's talk about it. I'm so glad to be on the show because I feel like people aren't talking about these problems because they're too big or too scary or we don't know what to do, and so we're ignoring it. And like that's the worst thing. Yeah, we need to be talking about climate change. We need to be talking about the threats to the ocean and to the air we breathe and to the food we eat. And that's the first step to figuring out is being like, all right, we got a huge problem on our hands. Like, how can we as individuals, as communities, as churches, as schools, as cities, as states? get together and figure out how to move in the right direction. Absolutely. I love it. And also to be radically fearless about having these conversations in the first place, which I just don't think I see them enough out there <laughs> considering how, you know, just considering yeah. how, how things are and just how we're progressively. I'm amazed I still get <laughs> invited to dinner parties. <laughs> I think you'd make a great dinner. Oh are, you God, like, are you kidding? Don't, don't invite me to sushi. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all I have today. I could honestly go on and on and on and ask. I have so many questions I still want to ask. Um, so that that's literally we've done. We've had you in book, you know, that for that tiny space, I've had you here in the studio and I still have questions. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, but that said, I want to know, um, I want to let everyone know, how can they follow more of the work that you're doing? Thanks for asking. Yeah. So, um, I do a lot of writing, mm-hmm. um, and public speaking and all of that is on my website, ayanaelizabeth.com. Um, I'm pretty active on social at Ayana Eliza on Twitter and Instagram, I left Facebook immediately after this Cambridge Analytica nonsense. Good. I was like, peace. So I, unfortunately, <laughs> I felt the need to keep it like, there are many, kind of like, it's, it's many still there, but reasons. I, yeah, I just and don't, like I don't engage. From elementary school I and like know. Your I get it. I get yeah. it. I had the luxury of leaving. I left. Oh, um, so jealous. I'm on Instagram and Twitter um, and Ocean Collective is as well. Um, at Ocean Collective. No, no e, e, no e. And our website is oceancollective.co. And actually, I would recommend we have a page of resources there, which is oceancollective.co slash resources. Okay. Um, and there's subsections for um, climate, for protected areas, for plastics and pollution. Um, so if people want to learn more, all my favorite resources are there. There's like animations about overfishing, mm-hmm. there's infographics, there's fact sheets, there's a list of um, articles to read, whether those are like popular press articles or like hardcore scientific <laughs> articles and reports. And there's a list of organizations on each of those topics that are doing really excellent work. If you want to learn more or volunteer or support them. So oceancollective.co slash resources. Um, and there's also a calendar of upcoming ocean events. Amazing. If people want to like really get involved. So, um, so yeah, all that's right. the home for all that stuff. I love it. Thank you. Um, so that's all we have for today. Please download and subscribe to Unbossed wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to follow Essence across all social media platforms for Unbossed updates. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks for having me. I could literally keep <laughs> asking you questions. I have so many. Um... Email me at unbossed at essence.com. Tell me about a woman in your life who inspires you to be unbossed. Or if you don't want to email, comment on social media using the hashtag unboss podcast and please 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 leave a review on apple podcast say nice things say constructive things please okay see you guys later